0: I hope you've enjoyed our Freedom Series. Today's the last in the five sessions that we've been speaking on freedom. It's particularly uh, wonderful for me to be able to conclude it today because I actually run the Freedom Course here at church. And I know a number of you have done it, and we've just started the latest iteration. And I've just found it amazing to see what God does. So Pastor Danielle started us off with what is freedom five weeks ago, and then Pastor Sean gave us two sessions on why we need freedom and various aspects of how to live in freedom. And then last week, Pastor Linda did a ripper message of just practical ways to walk in your freedom. So I encourage you, if you've missed any of the series, all available on YouTube under Life You See, if you want to look at that afterwards. It really has been a great series. So it's quite a privilege to bring it home today. And my topic is simply, we are free. That was the topic I was given to finish on. Our theme verse is Galatians 5.1. Let me be clear, Christ has set us free. Not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. So let's recap just a little on what it means to be free and one of the Greek words in connection with being saved is sozo and it's used 110 times in the New Testament and according to Strong's Concordance it means wholeness but wholeness in spirit, wholeness in soul, your mind, emotions and will and wholeness in body. It is complete freedom complete healing for body, soul and spirit. It's freedom from all things that have burdened us and weighed us down, and it's what Jesus did for us on the cross. Luke 19:10 says for the son of man came to seek and save sozo the lost. Mark 16:16 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Sozo, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, how many of you here or watching with us online today have absolute confidence you have been saved from sin by Jesus? So if someone asks you, you can confidently say, yeah, I know Jesus, He's my Lord and He's forgiven my sins and I am going to heaven. Anyone here can actually say that with confidence. Oh, Pastor Sean, you need to lift your game. <laughs> that was not a lot of hat. <laughs> But do you know, we actually should have that very same confidence that we have been made whole, set free, sozo, by that very same sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, free in body, soul and spirit. We need to know that as confidently as we know we're saved So what trips us up, even after we've brought things before God, our own actions, words and thoughts, the actions of others, (laughs) words and thoughts committed by others, why is it we can still feel we're not free? Well, if we believe the word of God, who says he has set us free, not partially, but completely, then we know the reason does not lie with him. (laughs) therefore the only place where a lack of lack of or perceived lack of freedom can exist is in our own minds over the past few weeks we've touched on the areas of forgiving others and ourselves speaking words of life over us instead of hanging on to the damaging words of others we've learned how to recognize the enemy at work knowing there is an enemy (laughs) and how to defeat him we have learned to praise and declare the word of God so that the words of the enemy are completely drowned out. So why do we still feel there are some chains tied around us? Well, here are three things this morning for us to consider uh, to help us make that final break, to truly walk a life of freedom so we can boldly all say together, we are free. My first point is don't fake it till you make it. We need to leave all pretense at the door when we approach God. While I'm all for declaring the positive word of God over my life, there is a difference between reading the word of God and applying it to our lives with confidence and just saying the right things to God, ourselves and others in the desperate hope it will eventually become a reality. You don't have to pretend to be more than what you are. To receive the blessings you need from God, you don't have to pretend to be someone else to appear more deserving to receive from God, and you most certainly don't have to pretend all is in control in your life. We can't fool God, and the more we try, the further away he can seem. The Bible tells us that God is not taken in by external appearances, but rather he looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or height for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Or as it says in the Living Bible translation, but I look at a man's thoughts and intentions. God already knows what we're thinking, where our head is at, what we believe to be true of Him and what we don't. He knows our struggles and the doubts in our own minds that we're even worthy of God's intervention in our situation. He knows we put ridiculous burdens on ourselves. If only I read the Bible more or pray more or volunteer more at Canberra City Care or break that addiction in my life or stop sinning, then I will be good enough for God to give his freedom to me. That's stinking thinking. We need to do more. We think we need to do more to get God to like us. But God's word said we don't have to do a thing because Jesus has already done it all. Now, there's an interesting passage that demonstrates Jesus' reaction to falsehoods. And I confess I'd never really noticed this before till I read a devotional by Joseph Prince recently. Although one verse has always puzzled me, which I'll talk about in a minute. And it's the first part of the story of the woman and the crumbs under the table, which some of you will know. So Matthew 15, 21 to 25. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. Now see, what we need to understand, this was a Gentile woman, but she was actually pretending to be a Jew by calling out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Only Jews addressed Jesus as the Son of David, acknowledging the lineage of the Messiah. Her attitude was, I'll pretend I'm the sort of person that God will respond to and I'll say the right thing and God will have to act. And how did Jesus respond? The verse that has always puzzled me, verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. He wouldn't speak to her as the person she was pretending to be. It seems she didn't even he didn't even look at her. After his disciples hassled him to send her away, Jesus said to them, not her, in verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now she had a choice to make right there. Jesus had called her out on her pretense. In that moment, Jesus was telling her, I'm only here for the Jewish people. And you're not one. So now she can carry on pretending, try to bluster her way in, oh God, give me, give me, give me, as our prayers sometimes go up to God. Keep on quoting Jewish phrases, much as we might keep on quoting verses. Keep acting like a Jew in that somehow this would make her deserving of healing for her daughter through that pretense. Or she could choose to drop the pretense and come as she was. Knowing that Jews despised Gentles, this is why the disciples' feathers were ruffled, they didn't want her there. And knowing that Jesus had said he wasn't there for her. Verse 25, we can tell what decision she made. Lord, help me. The use of the word Lord here, just in case we get confused, does not mean my Lord and Saviour as we use, it's merely a polite sign of respect here. Other translations have sir written there. It reflects a polite, I've heard of you, so I'm giving you some respect, but I don't actually know you. And then she simply adds, help me. And at that point, at the dropping of pretense, at the giving up of expecting any deserving of healing, at the heartfelt, please help me, Jesus then gave her his full attention. Are you trying to influence God by pretending in His presence to be something you're not? Or of having a level of faith you do not? <laughs> or pretending not to be fearful with regard to your circumstances which are actually keeping you up at night? Two words for you, stop it. <laughs> he knows your heart. So perhaps instead try a prayer like this, God, I'm struggling to believe Everything and anything that you have said in your word about me, about how much you love me, please help me. And then you could perhaps quote my favourite verse if you really do like to use scripture, Mark 9, 24b. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Being real with God is not a failure of faith. It's the strength that makes sure the devil does not get a foothold in your thinking. We need to understand the simplicity of a verse like Romans 10:13: For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not the good, not the ones who've already come to terms with the things of their past, not the most regular churchgoers, not those who pretend all is well with them every single day, not those others look up to as being super spiritual. No, it's simply anyone with a humble heart who cries out, Jesus, help me is that you this morning, do you simply come with a prayer, Jesus help me, then you will be free indeed. It's really that simple to get freedom, to be made whole, sozo. But there's another point I need to make to help you understand how to hold on to that freedom. So my second point is don't go back to Egypt. To understand this, we need to grasp that there are two aspects to freedom, getting it and keeping it as has been covered in previous weeks to become free we need to ask God to show us those areas of our life that he says has kept us kept us in bondage we need to agree with God about those things and then we need to pray them out so it's a choice to step into our freedom God promises there is nothing that we have done or has been done to us that has not been covered by the blood of Jesus on the cross. But we still need to believe and ask for that freedom to be applied in our life as we recognise those things, confess, forgive, repent, whatever it takes, when we ask God's acts and we are free. But the second thing is it's also a choice to hold on to our freedom. So to understand this point, we need to do my favourite thing and take a look at an animal. Thank you, everybody, for your patience. (laughs) Now, what I'm about to describe is called by some an urban myth. However, I can swear to you, I have actually seen this in my childhood. So I have no doubt it's actually real. Some of you younger ones are going to cringe now because I'm going to talk about a circus, the old-fashioned sort that actually had wild animals way back when it was allowed. No offence to anyone, the most mesmerising mesmerizing sight a young person could see. I grew up in Bega and the circuses came once a year. Most years it was actually located in a crop field just in walking distance of my house. So my dad and I would walk down uh, and watch them set up the big tent and have a look at all the animals. It was so exciting. And I'll never forget seeing the animals, huge, majestic. But what was fascinating to me was watching the man who'd take a big hammer and drive a wooden pike into the ground with a length of chain that would then tie around each elephant's leg. The elephants had a decent amount of room to wander around in, but only within the confines of the length of chain. Now, this crop crop field was located next to the Bega River, which, when I was a child, pretty much flooded annually. So, one day, one year, Dad and I were literally wading (laughs) through water up over our shoes, mud and, you know, stuff everywhere, to actually see the circus performance. But as we approached, I actually noticed the wooden peg the hole that held the chain for the elephants was actually out of the ground and just lying flat on top of the ground from all the sodden conditions that were there from the rain and I said to my dad I was about seven or eight should we be scared dad why don't the elephants run away and he replied because they don't know they're free they are so used to being bound by their chains that even though they are way stronger than the wooden peg holding them, they never think to pull against it because they've learned to believe they are not free. That made a profound mark on me as a young child. The elephants could have run off anytime, time, but because they believed they were bound, they believed they weren't free, so they acted as if they were bound, That's the way it can be for us too, isn't it? Jesus paid the price for our freedom. There are many scriptures that I could go through. In fact, I had to chop a lot out to keep to time today that just proved to you that he, that's what he died for, as well as our release from our sins. He said he came to set the captives free. That's us. He came to us, make us whole in every sense of the word. He brought forgiveness. He said he brought restoration. We can ask for that freedom and apply it to every area of our lives. And yet we allow our minds to govern us and tell us, oh, we're not really free. Why is this still such a struggle? And part of it, I believe, is because we are set free from something to become something. There are two parts to the freedom equation and both involve our choice. When we invite the absolute glory of God into our area of bondage, but we don't take the steps needed to bring the change in the way we think and live, then it doesn't take long till we begin to feel an internal conflict of God at work compared to the same old patterns of behaviour and thinking. And we can begin to find more comfort in the familiarity of the things that kept us captive than the freedom God has to offer as it goes hand in hand with everyone's absolute favourite word, change. We can start to look almost longingly back at our life as a captive. Oh, no, Jane, that would never happen. Who would do that? Who would possibly want to go back into bondage? Well, let's have a look at an example of what I mean. In the book of Exodus, we see what the conditions were like for the Israelite people. They were slaves to the Egyptians. In Exodus 1.14, they, the Egyptians, made their lives bitter with harsh labour in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labour, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. They were also facing genocide. In Exodus 1.22, Pharaoh gave a command to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let, let every girl live because I didn't want to lose all their slaves. <laughs> As things progressed between Moses and Pharaoh, Pharaoh doubled down on the treatment of the Israelites. It was absolute misery for them. Now, did the Israelites blindly accept the bondage? No. In Exodus 2.23, it says during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. Have you cried out to God for the thing that binds you? Perhaps it's your health, your finances, your family circumstances, your memory of past events where you see no escape. You feel tired, beaten, lacking in hope, but you cry out and the good news is God hears you. In verse 24 to 25, it continues, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And this is our story too, surely. We cry out to God and he hears us. He remembers the new covenant with Jesus and he acts. God set his people free. And in Exodus 4.29, we're even told every Israelite saw the signs God performed through Moses. Now, I don't, have to go, I don't have time to go through all the verses. But one of the plagues I call the Aussie plague, flies were sent to every Egyptian house, but not to any house in Israel. Now, to any Aussie here watching online, uh, a surrogate Aussie who's joined us from any other nation around the world, I mean, seriously, have you ever seen a house-trained fly? No. An absolute miracle they could not deny, and that was just one of them. Uh, they saw their, the Egyptians' livestock destroyed, but theirs was not. They saw the firstborn sons across all Egypt dead dead. But not the sons of the Israelites. They saw the Red Sea part and Pharaoh's entire army destroyed. They were free and they knew it was the hand of God at work. But look what happened so very soon afterwards. In chapter 16, we learn that it was on the 15th day of the second month, i.e. Only, I only about six or seven weeks later, since they'd been brought out of Egypt that they began muttering again. Now, they'd already had a bit of a whinge about the water. God had dealt with that. But this was different because they weren't just whinging. They had actually concluded they should have stayed as slaves in Egypt. Exodus 16, 3, the Israelites said to them, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There's a cheery prospect, isn't it? And much later, after years and years of seeing the provision of God over the Israelites in the desert, years and years, they came to the time where they were finally approaching the promised land. But when 10 of the 12 spies returned with a negative report, this was the response of the Israelites who had been led by God for 40 years, who had seen absolute miracles almost on a daily basis numbers 14 3 to 4 why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword our wives and children will be taken as plunder wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt and they said to each other we should choose another leader and go back to Egypt incomprehensible and yet that's what the people as a whole decided, ah, for the good old days, slavery, beatings, genocide, yes, let's go back. Not one of those people entered into the whole freedom, the promised land that God had intended for them. But we shouldn't sit smugly here in judgment of the Israelites because some of us do exactly the same thing. We call out to God, we see his miraculous provision of freedom, we taste it and we love it. But then it all seems to be too hard to keep walking in it. What do you mean I need to change some of my ways? To make the changes we need in our thinking and our actions, our words, to break free of our old thinking. And you know, we start to think things weren't that bad, were they? So my question today is, do you really want to be free? And what a ridiculous question to say, Jane. Of course everybody wants to be free, but do they? (laughs) You see, there are two costs to freedom. Jesus was beaten and nailed one nail at a time to a wooden cross. With every stroke, he said, yes, my father, I pay for all their sins. And yes, I pay for the price for them to be healed. And yes, I pay for their freedom from pain, from addictions, from curses, from mental depression. I willingly pay the price for it all. They are free. But there's also another cost, and that's of our choice to embrace the freedom that Jesus won for us and to put in place the things necessary for us to hold on to that freedom. You know, I actually know someone from 30 or so years ago who rejected being healed in a a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit because of the impact it would have had on her life. She'd been on a full pension for years and hadn't been able to work with absolute chronic pain But in the end, she realised she was actually terrified of being healed because it would change everything that she had in place, everything she knew to be true about who she was and how life operated. Well, there's a different example. You might perhaps know someone who has made quite the lifestyle out of being bitter and twisted about a set of circumstances that has happened to them. And I'm not belittling circumstances, they're real, they're painful. And when someone asks us, you know, what's the story with Gillian here? My apologies to anyone called Gillian in the auditorium or online. today. Mm. <laughs> what's the story with Gillian here? We respond with, oh, poor Jilly. She's been through so much, you just need to make allowances for her. Do we? Are we going to deny Gillie? the chain-breaking, life-altering freedom of Jesus at work in her life by feeding into that continual victim state. No, that's not what we are meant to do as her loving brothers and sisters. We are meant to bring Jilly with us on the freedom journey, not indulge in the perpetuation of the bondage that she is under. It's a choice to accept the freedom of Jesus and it's a choice to take the necessary steps to walk in it. Now, Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Now, this is written in the present continuous sense and it's also an instruction to be obeyed. So the gospel according to Jane reads it as... Make a choice to never conform to the pattern of this world, not hanging on to the way you used to think, but decide to continually be transforming the way you think and and act by the ongoing and intentional renewing of your mind. Then you will on a daily basis walk in the freedom of God's will at work in your life, His perfect will. It's a choice. My third and final point today, which I believe is key for maintaining our freedom, is make your freedom your testimony. There's power in our positive testimony. It not only brings someone else encouragement, but when we hear our own words, (laughs) as we say them, it reinforces the truth of our freedom in Jesus for us. Romans 10, 9 to 10, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him up from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confessed and are saved. When God moves in your life, Tell someone in fact tell lots of people oh listen I'd love to hear what God's done in your life come and tell me <clears throat> there is power in our testimony even over the enemy remember pastor Linda spoke last week of the very real enemy here excuse me we have he's called the devil let's not pretend he's called the father of all lies and he whispers to us that we're not free that God couldn't really love us enough to want to bless us, that the wooden stake is firmly in the ground, holding us back, even when we can see it's lying loose on the surface. Just listen. Oh, thank you. A very kind man. Sorry. I'm saying it's all the shouting from the tennis yesterday where I was like, come on. (laughs) I'm actually the person who lost the game, but that's by the by. Revelation 12, a hey, they triumphed over Him, that's the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb, that's the sacrifice, that's the price Jesus paid on the cross, and by the word of their testimony, that's you and me speaking it out, giving declaration, helping Julie understand that God is real, that Jesus can set her free.